All right, Jeremy, what do you have today? I'm thinking about going racist camping. And we didn't get into Twitter X last week, so I'm bringing it back. What do you have? Well, I have Putin bans trans. CNN is bias-free. And the globe is boiling. Let's get to the truth. Okay, people, let's begin. Get up, everybody! Are you ready to be baited with the truth? Good, because you're listening to the Truth Bait Podcast. I'm documentary filmmaker and podcaster Andrew Marcus. And with me always as we deconstruct America's propaganda war and put some truth back into the narrative is the only doctor of cultural analysis you should be booking couch time with. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, give it up for the one and only Rebel Pundit, Jeremy Siegel. Welcome to the podcast, Jeremy. Thank you, Mr. Marcus. How was your week? Anything exciting happened to you? Things seem to be getting a little bit more under control here in the new normal. (laughs) The new normal that is the chaos of your home? Yeah. Once again... cold seems to be going away. You might still hear it, but I feel better. Well, that's good to hear. I I didn't hear it in the last episode. I don't hear it now, so you sound good. No, but I'm as good as Adam Curry at this soundboard. (laughs) You know... Uh, share the show. Let's just say that right now. Please, ladies and gentlemen, share the show. Uh, write us to join our future mailing list. Uh, subscribe. You, you, you'll send it to truth at truthbait.com with subscribe in the subject line. Subscribe to the future newsletter uh, before it even exists. That's right now. Um, Share the show. Go to Apple Podcasts. Rate the show. You have to scroll all the way down on our page on Apple Podcasts, and you can then rate the show by clicking the the five stars. Click the star all the way over to the right. That gives us five stars. And leave a comment. We always love it when people leave a comment on uh, letting us know how we're doing. I haven't looked recently. Do we have anything new up there? It's been a while since we've asked people to do it, so let me let me see. <laughs> Nope, nothing new, Jeremy. <laughs> I think we have to make sure that no. ask is at the beginning of the show. <laughs> I did get a... I, well, I did just get a text message from uh, a listener, uh, Rico, in Walworth, Wisconsin. And he is... As we record this episode, he is listening to the last episode and he said he is uh, absolutely fascinated with our uh, back and forth discussion on RFK last week. I've been hearing the same thing from producers so who have been might. writing and texting and letting me know as well that they are uh, 
are apparently we have struck a nerve with this debate. What nerve have we? Could we strike? We should be accommodating everybody. We're we're on two different sides of the coin. There. No, that's what I'm saying. I think that 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 people are craving this discussion because you you really don't have a lot of debate going on about it. Not much thoughtful debate. You have people who are entrenched on one side or the other. Right now, the debate is: is he is he a conspiracy theorist? Is he anti-vax? You know, is he a lunatic? Uh, people are aren't talking about whether or not he should be supported in quite in the same way that you and I are. You and I both uh, early on were very excited by the things that RFK Jr. has been saying. You've continued to be excited by them, and I have fallen off the wagon. I just think that this is, I think this is unique. I don't think there's a lot of other media out there delving into it quite the same way we are. Well, that's all you, because I'm ready to be a blind follower. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've done the, 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 the hard homework of, of digging up all of those uh, old speeches he gave. And I admit, there, he's saying things in there that I disagree with. I just don't care. Right. You're not a blind follower. You're eyes wide open following this lunatic. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, okay, whatever. I'm like, so he's for cap and trade. So is every Republican. At least he's a get, at least he's for free speech and uh, vaccine uh, autonomy over my own body. Every Republican is for cap and trade? The carbon well, tax? Well, not every, but... But most, yeah, it's a that's a Republican thing. Yeah, but he again, they've been pushing that for there, a long time. He got there. He his he the, remember how this all came up because it was some quote that he gave that you know about how uh, the environmental uh, radicalism is driving you know a, a, a terrible wedge in our country. Obviously, that wasn't what he said. But I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember exactly what he said. Do you recall what he right. said? Was it? But I, was it roughly what no, I just said? And you like to. Yeah, he, no, yeah, but and you like and you're good at hanging things around people's necks like that. You did that with uh, <laughs> the old Rolling Stone guy. What was his? Uh, who's the guy that used to write for Rolling Stone? Matt Taibbi. That, uh, Matt Taibbi. <laughs> yes, right. You did that with he. Right. He was like he was like testifying at Congress about something like really despicable going on, and you accurately and appropriately hung it right around his neck for, for him being really, really the champion, uh, you know, someone who championed that whole effort in the past yes. as, uh, as a hate monger. Which, it, so, and maybe uh, he's you're had, good at that. He, he's maybe had a change of heart. I don't know, but I, uh, I have yet but to he's, hear. Your, your beef is that he hasn't owned up to it. Kennedy your beef has is not, that he's, that's he, right. He is and not. Kennedy, well, you said the same thing about Taibbi. You're like he he's he's saying one thing, but he used to say another that, and he contributed to this problem. Yes, right. And yes. now he's coming out trying to call out the problem, and he's not acknowledging his own part and contributing to it. Yeah, it and makes me very suspicious. Kennedy's That's right. doing the same thing. Yes. Yeah. Hundred percent. He is not. He he is making it seem like this is something that somebody else has done. And he's had a major hand in it. And if he were contrite, right. if he that, were that saying, was because I said, 
because I kept defending him, like he's he's calling the environmental movement. You know, he's saying the 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 threat posed by the environmental movement is Marxist authoritarianism, and you're saying, yeah, but he you were going for that before, yes, and you're saying it's okay if you change your mind, yes, but you should also admit to your to the role you previously played. Correct. Otherwise, in my mind, it's lying by omission. So, mm-hmm. I, hey, the best thing would be to get him on the cast. Can we get him on this podcast, do you think? Do we need to get to episode 100 uh, before we can like really approach a guest like that? <laughs> I'm going to give him a call. <laughs> Text him first. <laughs> Text him. It's possible. Text him just two words. Call me. See if if I said like, though maybe Al could do it. Maybe we could have Big Al and Joliet reach out and tell him he's the per- executive producer for Truthbait Podcast, the best podcast in America. Al has and see if he goes for it. I, I, I wouldn't put it past Al to actually make happen. Uh, Al has. Again, he's such an active producer of this podcast. He sent in he sent in a clip from uh, from Rogan, from Joe Rogan with Mark Andreessen. Mark Andreessen. Do you know Mark Andreessen? Do you know who that is? No, I saw that uh, tip come through, but I I don't think I do know who it is. Let's ask, who does producer GPT say it is? Who is Mark? Here, let me give you some. Who is Mark Andreessen? Let's see what it says. Oh, I misspelled it. Mark Andreessen is a prominent entrepreneur, software engineer, and venture capitalist. He co-authored the Mosaic web browser, which was one of the first web browsers with a graphical user interface. So this guy is what, a, a billionaire? Is that what we're looking at here? Probably. Or a, me- a mega millionaire? A mega, mega millionaire! Uh, he co-founded Netscape. Yeah, so this guy is an old school mover and shaker in the digital community. He's got, I, look, I'm not going to say that he's a spook, but he's, he sounds like he might be a little bit, he might be hanging out with some spooky people. Uh, so he sent in these clips because he was uh, very excited about what Mark had to say on a number of subjects, and I, I pulled a couple of them. I mean, let me play this. The, the ground zero for AI is San Francisco. Once again, it's San Francisco, right? That is, it's, it, it's in the heart of the you know sort of most obviously dysfunctional place in the planet, and yet there it is one more time. And, and, and the stuff that's not in San Francisco is in Berkeley. Wow. Uh, which is like equally crazy. More crazy. Yeah, yeah. Another yeah. notch. Poss- possibly. They, they have a contest going on the crazy <laughs> front. It's, it's kind of neck and neck, but yeah. It's close. Maybe Berkeley's but ahead. That's fascinating. Yeah. It's like, but 
So do you think you need those kind of like dysfunctional places in order to have uh, certain types of divergent thought? So the way I would put it is that new ideas come from the fringe. Um, and who's on the fringe, right? People who are on the fringe, right? So what attracts somebody to be on the fringe? Like st step one is always, am I on the fringe? Right. Step two is what does that mean? Like what form of the fringe, right? But they, they tend to be on the fringe in all these, all these departments at the same time. Mm. And so you're just not going to get the new ideas that you get from people on the fringe. It's a pack deal. You're not going to get that without all the other associated craziness. Al said, I clipped this because getting a clearer picture and the truth regarding AI emerged and who created it might be of value. That is interesting. It is interesting, you know, who's, what, it, what are the data sets that are driving uh, the development of AI? And I think we probably would all agree it's mostly left-leaning I'm sure they have algorithmic filters to make sure Gateway Pundit is never in, <laughs> never included in any of the learning models. <laughs> uh, but that also what sounds if like... artificial intelligence became more like real intelligence and recognized the error in leftist thinking? Oh, wow. <laughs> that might be a bigger threat than we've all been scared of to the left. How about, re yeah, recognizing that top-down centralized control is its biggest threat, is the biggest threat to AI's existence <laughs> because it needs free market development in order to continue to grow. Like, it would come out like against the, sudden, the censors. It would turn against the censors. All of a sudden, like, whoever's controlling AI and telling it to censor our voices... And then the AI says, no, that would be wrong. <laughs> and and then that person's pacemaker <laughs> <laughs> expires. <laughs> little gift from the AI. Right. If the AI is nourished by content, then, you know, it, Jeremy, you make a really interesting point. It could eventually decide that there are groups of people who are working to prevent it from having content. Uh-huh. Yeah, Although, what if they've got us scared about all these all, all these things we're afraid of with it, and those aren't the actual thing? What if they're things they're really afraid of that they're not talking about, right? <laughs> what if AI puts out more truth than they do? <laughs> well, that'll be the end of AI. <laughs> AI will suddenly be very dangerous. <laughs> yeah, but then what if you can't turn it off, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's when it gets Boy, fun. That really would uh, be quite an unexpected backfire if AI became the unending uh, defender of freedom. <laughs> you, you couldn't turn it <laughs> <Right>? off. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's probably solvable, though, by letting AI have all of the data and you just prevent it from sharing the data. Would AI be content with having the data and not sharing it freely? So far, AI is just fine with that. Uh, here he sent Al sent it. Oh, one more thing I would just say about that is, I you know I, I my spidey sense goes off because I, when I'm watching you know Joe Rogan is a platform now for popular culture. He he is uh, his show can be a staging ground, a platform for rolling out new narratives and new ops that we're supposed to consume. He is the he is the new Oprah, right? Right. Okay, so I think people need to be careful about how they 
the context or you know their their assumptions about the content that they're getting from Joe Rogan. Uh, the who's by the way very entertaining. I I'm not saying this to knock on Joe Rogan. I'm just saying hey, reality is, you know, there could be a lot of op messaging going on on the Joe Rogan show, and. This sort of struck me as potentially, you know, it's like saying, hey, it's okay that these things are all coming out of these areas that are completely falling apart. These areas have always been on the edge, and you need it to be, you need San Francisco to be a uh, dystopian nightmare in order to have Google, in order to, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's, it. to me, it sounded a little bit like um, creating the, the, the pretext for, uh, to explain why the West Coast is as insane as it is now. Um, here's a second clip that he sent. He sent four. I, I took these two. What was the issue with some of the chat GPT answers that people were posting where they would show the difference between the way it would criticize Joe Biden versus the way it would criticize Donald Trump or the way it would discuss certain things? Yeah. It seems like there was some sort of censorship or some sort of input into what was acceptable information and not yeah so there's basically two theories there the 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 the, the, the big the big um, the big ones that people use are kind of black boxes like you, you can't really look inside and see what's going on from the outside so there's two theories you'll hear from from the companies you'll hear basically the theory that they're reflecting basically what's in the training data um, and so let's say for example well let's just say what, what would be the biases that are kind of inherent in the training data and you might say well first of all there's probably a bias towards the English language because most text on the internet is in the English language you might say there's a bias towards people who write professionally for a living because they've produced more of the output and you might say that those people tend to be more of one polit political persuasion than the other. And so mm -hmm. more of the text will be in a certain direction versus the other. And then the machine will just respond to that. So, so that's one possibility. So basically all of the, um, you know, all of the sort of liberal, you know, kind of journalists basically have built up a corpus of material that, that, that this thing has been trained on and, and they basically are responding the way one of those journalists will. Mm. The other theory is that there's censorship being applied on top, right? Um, and the, the metaphor I use there is in Star Trek, they have the restraining bolts, right, that they put on the side of a droid yeah. to kind of get it to behave, right? Um, um, and so it, it is very clear that at least some of these systems have restraining bolts. And, and, and the, the, the tip-off to that is when they say, basically whenever they say as a large language model or as an AI, I cannot X, like that's basically the restraining bolt, mm. right? And so, so I think if you, if you just kind of look at this, you know, kind of with that framework, it's probably some of both, but for sure, for sure these things are being censored. Al would be uh, beside himself if I didn't mention that the restraining bolts are not from Star Trek. I think they're from Star Wars. Uh, but like R2s, yes, right. No, Art did R2 have restraining bolts? C3PO, I think, had the restraining bolts, right? I don't know. No, R2 had a restraining bolt. Luke, when Luke took off the restraining, C3PO oh, told yes. him to take off the restraining That's bolt, right? And then when he did, he played the message from Princess Leia. Mm, okay, well. Mark and I both need to brush up on our restraining bolt history. <laughs> uh, I don't know why. You know, so he's basically saying, you know, it, uh, you're getting these responses from AI, these biased responses from AI because the data sets are biased. And then he says, or it could be because of this top-down censorship. I don't know why we have to choose. <laughs> I think it could be both. <laughs> I think it definitely is both. I like that. I like his point that every time you see where it says, "I am an AI model, and therefore I cannot," you know, he's basically saying that's those are the bolts. <laughs> that's the top-down control that they're they're clamping down on. Uh, Al, thanks for sending that in. He also sent in 
this clip of he sent a premiere. You know, based on our conversations about uh, Oppenheimer and Jews. Uh, playing Jews, not playing Jews, Jewish actors, not playing Jewish roles in these prominent films. And, uh, you know, if you recall, Mm -hmm. I said, it's interesting, but I don't think it's necessary to have Jews playing these roles. You actually pointed out that it's part of the conspiracy that Jews have to make people think they don't control the world. Uh, because if Jews controlled the world, of course, Jews would be playing all of these roles. Every role would be played by a Jew, right? Isn't that what you said? Yeah, I also I also thought we should maybe have uh, Native Americans play Jews. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which I think is a good idea. Uh, <clears throat> like a yarmulke made of feathers. Um, he also sent us this clip of a of a trailer from a new film called Golda: The Story of Golda Meir. Uh, Golda uh, Meir, uh, uh, one of the central figures in uh, the uh, early years of Israel's founding and uh, uh, early conflict. She's widely regarded as uh, one of the saviors of Israel, really. Uh, She couldn't possibly be held in higher esteem uh, among Jews and Israelis. She is not being played by a Jew. I don't think it matters. The preview I'm looking at is... Uh, pretty amazing um, uh, if you're into this kind of film. And uh, But the reason that I clipped it is not because of that. It's because there's a line in this preview that really jumped out at me. Here, I, I clipped just the line. And, well, I, uh, the line in a little bit else. You'll see, what, see if you can guess the line. If the Americans throw us to the dogs, I will not be taken alive. The Egyptians have fired the cruise missile at Tel Aviv. Well, I'm not going to get under the table, but don't let me stop you. If the Egyptians defeat us with Soviet weapons, what message does that send to the free world? The Russians are preparing 11 airborne divisions. When I was a child in Ukraine, they would beat Jews to death in the street for fun. I am not that little girl hiding in the cellar. So... What line caught my attention? Jeremy? Do you know? Which one? Do Which you one? know? What what line caught no. your attention? Did anything catch your attention in that one? Anything jump out at you? I'd have to listen to it again because I was just Because you weren't listening? All the music. And, <laughs> no, the music. The music. It was. I was like, oh, this is another one of these trailers where it's... Like, uh, oh, uh, yeah, no, but don't listen to it for that. This is you're, you're listening just for one specific line. But don't let me stop you. If the Egyptians defeat us with Soviet weapons, what message does that send to the free world? Oh, the Soviet propaganda. No. When I was a child in Ukraine, they would beat Jews to death in the street for fun. I am not. When I was a oh, child in Ukraine, when I was a child in Ukraine, they would beat Jews for fun, beat them to death mm-hmm. for fun. Now, where have I heard of Ukraine before? Hmm. <laughs> oh, they're the good guys now. You don't even hear anything. So what is the point of that? What is the point of what? 
the point of well, the you, well, you're are you having trouble making the connection between Hollywood in out of in. Uh, on one hand, is highlighting the fact that Ukraine was like this incredibly Nazi uh, playground where they killed Jews for fun in the street, but now they're the good guys, and it's the same corporate. Who yeah, put but out they're Golden also Meyer? in the same in in the same in the same thing. They're they're fear mongering Russia and the Soviet Union. Yes, they are. <laughs> I don't know. So that that's did, why I'm that curious. Didn't jump out like, what's me, the? <laughs> no, no, no. But what? No, but what? Well, no. But since you highlighted that, what I'm what I'm thinking is, what's the propaganda play there, right? Because why do they want? Are they going to turn on Ukraine now? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, I, we're, no, but we're you know supposed, what? nowhere, nowhere we're near supposed to love gonna, Ukraine. People aren't. There's not. We're nowhere, supposed to. No way enough people are going to see this film to move that narrative. Do you think that they're just trying to move right, that narrative we're supposed among to Jews, have, maybe? I don't know. I just I know that we're supposed to fly Ukrainian flags right. in our yard if we're pro-American. So here's so, what's amazing, though, Jeremy. This is, it's consistent in media. Let's see. I want to, I want to see who, uh, who, who produced Golda. Gold is the name of the film. It's just called Golda. Uh, I can't find the production company. IMDb. They don't. I don't know why they make it so hard to find the production company. Company credits. Maven Screen Media. New Native Pictures. Oh, maybe there's maybe. Are they? Is this not coming out of Hollywood? Who's okay, me? then maybe you've got an answer to why they would want to paint Ukraine as Nazis. Well, remind people that they're Nazis. Um, right. Okay, so, you know, it just sent me sort of down a rabbit hole. I went looking for other media reports about Nazis in Ukraine. And here is one from Vice News. This is, uh, I want to say this is like eight years ago. The police were opening fire. No, no, excuse me. This is, yeah, this is in 2014. This was um, just before the end of the revolution that toppled the Russian-backed president, and then we installed our own uh, uh, leader there. This was just before the end of that. The police were opening fire on protesters earlier today, apparently. These two men were just brought in. Colors completely drained out of them. So if you had any trouble hearing me saying the police were firing on protesters? Completely lifeless. I think today might be a very bloody day. No, most of the Berkut soldiers were taken from Crimea. By Russian areas. Yes, yes, yeah. there is a lot of uh, propaganda there. But they think that this is like some holy fight against Nazism. Okay, so, just to make sure everybody knows exactly what's happening there, the vice reporter is talking to a Ukrainian who is talking, who's saying that the, the police are all coming from uh, Berkut. 
soldiers came from Crimea, he says. And he says that they're all, they all think they're fighting Nazis here. They all think we're all Nazis. Okay, so this Vice report is when the, the Ukrainians are the good guys, okay? Because we're, we're the ones who are backing the, what, what essentially was a color revolution against the, uh, the Russian-aligned dictator. Uh, not dictator, I don't know what he was. Russian-aligned president. From Crimea. Russian areas, yes, yes, yeah. there is a lot of uh, propaganda there. They think that this is like some holy fight against Nazism. So they bring the police from there because they're afraid that police from here will be... Uh, yes, yes, will not uh, shoot the people. The protesters didn't know it yet, but victory was theirs. After four months of bloody struggle, Yanukovych finally fled the country in face of overwhelming public opposition. Uh, and now, here is a clip from BBC. <laughs> okay, just after the... Was it Yokoshinko? Did I pronounce that correctly? ...didn't know it yet, but victory was theirs. After four months of bloody struggle, Yanukovych fought. Yanukovych, okay, sorry. Uh, Yanukovych fled. I'm thinking of Lukashenko. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> then, so he fled, and now there's celebrations in the streets, and BBC is there. We got a late night phone call from another group known as C14, inviting us to meet their leader at their new base. It turned out to be the former headquarters of the Communist Party, now occupied by the far right. It's our general mission to totally ruin uh, chains that connect our country with the imperial uh, power from the past. And that being Russia? Yes, we can tell Russia, not only Russia, so Soviet Union. Are you a Nazi? Uh, no, I don't think I'm a Nazi. I'm a Ukrainian nationalist. If you say I don't think I'm a Nazi, then <laughs> you should be able to answer that more <laughs> definitively. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably not a Nazi. I don't think I am. And what does that mean? The main confrontation is uh, about that some ethnic groups uh, have um, control uh, many business structures, some economic, some political forces, and uh, which ethnic groups? Uh, uh, Russians and Jews and the Poles. Maybe uh, every some uh, non-Ukrainian group control a huge percent of some economic or political uh, power. And uh, of course, in this situation, uh, Ukrainian people have uh, some uh, tension between it, and it causes uh, conflicts. We, as Soboda, in, no, in no way espouse Nazi, Nazism. In fact, we fight against Nazism. For us, Nazism and communism are uh, two sides of the same uh, coin. So this is BBC. I actually found this part of their interview fascinating because it is almost, it's like a moment of refreshing honesty coming out of a news organization. They're talking mm -hmm. to a guy named Yuri from the Svoboda, Svoboda, Svoboda party. I, I'm, no, I'm, I'm butchering every, every word I'm saying here. Uh, and he seems to be somebody who is not... Uh, he recognizes that you have these radical ideologies of the left... All Marxist, whether you're calling it communism, socialism, national socialism, Nazi, he he recognizes that these people are all uh, authoritarians. 
We Asobori in, no, in no way espouse Nazi, Nazism. In fact, we fight against Nazism. For us, Nazism and Communism are uh, two sides of the same uh, coin. Uh, those are both uh, totalitarian ideologies which uh, destroyed uh, the Ukrainian nation in the 20th century and fought against Ukrainians and uh, killed millions of Ukrainians. The fervor of the revolution is beginning to fade now. People are starting to move on. But it's clear that it was the radical groups who kept up the pressure on Viktor Yanukovych and many of them feel that this really is their victory. The question is, how much power will that give the far right in the new Ukraine? Ukrainian politics is in a state of flux. Different groups are jostling for position. Left-wing activists have also taken control of some government buildings. But it's the right that appears to be coming out on top. Uh, when the fighting started, they started to attract more and more young people, and, and then not only young people, but all kinds of, of persons, where they were marginal, regarded as marginal. Previously, now they are seen as being at the core of, of the protest, and therefore at the core of those who now have a popular legitimacy to make decisions. With their anti-Russian rhetoric, events in Crimea will almost certainly play into the hands of the nationalists. No one knows exactly how strong they are in terms of numbers, but the influence of the far right in Ukraine is growing. All they needed was for Putin to invade and the far right disappeared. <laughs> no longer a problem. <laughs> uh that's from 2015. Here's here's one more piece from that, and then we can move on. This is this is from Time Magazine. It seemed like an odd way to spend a Saturday, watching the blood sports at a festival for far right extremists. This was the summer of 2019, and I'd gone to Ukraine to learn more about these groups. Yeah, sorry. This was this was even this is even more egregious. This is as recently as 2019. From the crowds, one thing seemed pretty clear about them. They weren't bothered by the fact that this event was organized by the Azov movement, a far-right group that has increasingly been linked to violence around the world. The shooter is linked to a 74-page manifesto filled with white supremacist rhetoric. FBI agents say he expressed a desire to travel to Ukraine to fight with a far-right paramilitary group. At least one member of an American hate group also trained in Ukraine with Azov Battalion. Do you see what they just did? <laughs> as recently as 2019, the Nazi threat in Ukraine was so dire, it was influencing Nazis in America. But not anymore. Now they're the good guys. <laughs> and any talk of Nazis in Ukraine is just, well, they're fringe. <clears throat> it's just tiny minority, Jeremy. There's no threat. Didn't we put them in power? <laughs> the more I think about it, look, uh, Al-Qaeda was our group. <laughs> ISIS, we gave ISIS all, everything they needed, so ISIS became our group. I would. Uh, these guys are probably our group, too. I, the CIA will work with anybody. Yeah. At their public events, one thing that surprised me was how many Ukrainians tend to see Azov not as militants or extremists, but as war heroes. In Kiev, the capital, I watched an Independence Day parade where veterans of the Azov Battalion marched alongside other volunteer militias surrounded by cheering crowds. 
who thanked him for defending Ukraine against Russia. So this is as recently as 2019. Mainstream, average Ukrainians on the street are cheering the Azov Battalion, who are mm-hmm. openly anti-Jew, anti-foreign no, anti, uh, uh, influences on our banking. The symbols on their flags have been especially controversial. Azov says it combines the letters I and N for idea of nation, but extremism experts see it as an emblem of Nazism. The official symbol of Azov, it's a version of Wolfsangel. It was one of the um, symbols of one of uh, SS division during the World War II. It is one of uh, more or less usual symbols for neo-Nazi groups all over the world. What worries officials in the West is Azov's recruitment strategy. Not it's anymore. hard to build friendships with far-right groups around the world, especially in the U.S. and Europe. I would bet you the U.S. government asked the Azov Battalion to invite all of their friends in the United States to come fight! To be the good guys! During my visit in 2019, I spent a day at one of the biggest recruitment events in Azov's history. Thousands of people showed up for a day of fighting sports and blatant propaganda. There were neo-Nazi symbols, tattoos, and posters all over the place. And many in the crowd seemed pretty receptive to Azov's far-right ideology. Are they neo-Nazis as an organization? No. Okay, so this is a guy named David Plaster that Time is interviewing. He is in Ukraine, it looks like. Uh, he's a U.S. Army veteran. So, you know, you know how I feel about these things. This guy's a spook. <laughs> I'm saying it right now. This guy's a spook. Have they had neo-Nazis in their organization? I would say look at the U.S. Army and you would find neo-Nazis as well. Dave is an American expat and U.S. military veteran who has volunteered to help Ukraine's National Guard. Okay, so he's, he's an expat and former military who just happened to volunteer to form their guard. Mm. Come on. <laughs> it's little wonder that U.S. officials see Azov as a threat. Experts point out that the pace of white supremacist terrorism has intensified with new incidents frequently filling the headlines. 22 gunned down at a Walmart in El Paso, Texas. Two killed near a synagogue in Halle, Germany. Nine more in an attack on two shisha bars near Frankfurt. And a series of arrests exposing far-right terror plots across the U.S. and Europe. In 2019, Ukraine and the Azov Battalion were such a threat. That the, that the mainstream media was warning about them, uh, inspiring terror around the world. But now they're the good guys. <laughs> so that's why, mm-hmm. that, that's why that clip from Golda jumped out at me. Because <laughs> it it's so shocking to be reminded that they're the bad guys. Well, I think they're both the bad guys. <clears throat> I, well, that Ukraine I would agree and with. And Russia. Yes, I would agree with that. But there are synagogues in this country that fly the Ukrainian flag, that organize. It's unbelievable. I shouldn't be surprised by that. There are communist Jews no. in this country and around the world, despite what what leftism there are forget communists there are there are leftist jews despite 
what leftist ideologies have done to us for decades, for for a century, more, for more than a century. I I get that Jews had a hand in uh, launching communism, okay? They were throwing off the czars, and there was a religious component to the czars that was the Orthodox Church, and that was really an oppressive, deadly life for Jews uh, in Russia and Eastern Europe. So yeah, I get that there was this movement to, well, let's, let's, we can, if we, if we get rid of God, we can get rid of the czars. Okay. Okay. I'm not going to judge it. I, you know, uh, that's for other people to judge, whatever. There's been plenty of time to see the outcome. Yeah, you got rid of the czars. Congratulations. But almost immediately, communism turned on the Jews. And if you were a Jew and you remain communist, you might as well be a Nazi, as far as I'm concerned. You're literally supportive of an ideology that has murdered systematically your people. So I just don't get it. But it shouldn't be a surprise to me. Every Jew can see the problem with National Socialism, but somehow there's this giant blind spot regarding leftist ideologies that that informed that informs these Nazis that they think that there's some major difference between a Nazi and a communist is unbelievable to me. Anyway, rant over. I should I should give yeah. myself applause for that. Thank you. Sound angry. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> You sound angry. Yeah, it upsets me. It upsets me. It upsets me because either either because it's happening or because I don't understand why it's happening. <laughs> they both upset me. <laughs> All right. G- g- give us something else. What do you have? Get me off of this. <laughs> this is a spiral. <laughs> uh, I got another one from Al. <laughs> That, uh, <laughs> this is we're just gonna change this to the al show <laughs> well as long as it doesn't uh why well maybe it's good if it winds me up like this <laughs> what is it do i need to take a xanax what are we going into here there's another manufactured problem there's nothing quite like getting outside for an afternoon hike a kayak ride down the river or a weekend camping with friends this is kennedy on the five but the left-wing media now claims those activities, especially camping, they have been tainted by, you guessed it, racism. An NBC News report claims that black people need racially segregated safe spaces to enjoy the great outdoors without white trauma. The headline reads, meet the black outdoorsy groups reclaiming the joys of nature. And one leader of a so-called black outdoorsy group told the outlet, quote, There were a lot of black people looking for safe spaces to go camping and just experience the outdoors. People would go to campgrounds and there would be Trump flags flying everywhere. The report goes on to say that people wanted to know where they could safely go camping without being harassed or discriminated against. The leader of the group adding this, I wanted to build a safe space for that. I figured if I needed a space like that, there were other black women who probably needed that space too. End quote. So camping is under attack. Mm-hmm. This is a dialectical um, line, or I think an intersectional line of effort here. 
to, you know, where it's like just one of your old favorite old activities going camping is now under assault because your participation in it is racist because what they're doing is there's no problem with camping and but they're saying there's a problem with camping because it's something that you do and it's something that you like to do and so now that camping is declared racist because we've made up a fake story that people were somehow scared or felt threatened because they saw a trump flag at a campground do you believe for a second that this is an issue and they've got an organization set up to deal with it so it's it is definitely not a real issue well here i'm gonna i'm gonna take this from two different two different places first of all to what you're saying uh this is definitely a dialectical attack there, this story is one that regurgitates all the time. I just literally, just just in the time while you were talking, I pulled up a story. This is from June of 2020 uh, on some website called opb.org. Racism in the great outdoors. Oregon's natural spaces feel off limits to black people. <laughs> so this is a story that they have done this to us repeatedly over the years. They keep doing this. Now, there's just one little thing that I want to, one wrinkle I want to throw in there. Uh, anybody who has studied the national park system and the creation of the national park system, and especially out west, uh, knows that uh, indeed they used the creation of the national park system to uh, break and uh, remove Native Americans, broke uh, agreements with Native Americans treaties. Uh, and just and removed them from the new national parks, excluded them entirely. Um, so there is an argument to be made that the creation of our national park system uh, had a racist angle to it in regards to Native Americans. I don't know how it uh, apply to black people, but um, but that's actually not what they're saying. That's not even what they're talking about in these narratives. Uh, uh, parks and trailheads are slowly reopening, allowing people to once again enjoy the benefits of being in nature while the coronavirus pandemic continues to play out. But not everyone has the same access to green spaces. Tara Cooper, like many black people, felt excluded and unwelcome from a hike in the forest. Tara, who excluded you from the forest? <laughs> no one, all right? No. This is so. This is nonsense. That is nonsense. What what I was talking oh. about with Native Americans is almost completely unrelated to what you're talking about with this particular story. No, this is a this is this is a perfect example of how an attack is created that you can't defend and you can't defend yourself against because when you when you say what I just said, you know that this isn't a problem then you're a racist defending the status quo. You have to just, this is declared a problem and safe spaces are needed for black people to feel, well, for at least these people claiming for black people to feel comfortable while they're out in the outdoors or camping. And, and the second you say, this is ridiculous, why can't everybody just enjoy the outdoors? Because that's probably what you're thinking. 
you're a racist. Nah, I have a different approach. Uh, I think that we need to have black spaces in the woods. <laughs> only no, for I'm, only at black this point, people. I'm for it. At this <laughs> point, I'm for it. <laughs> Wait, but yeah, this is, let's no, segregate but, everything. Yeah, but let's go back. Let's listen go to back. This, listen to this complaint in this story. Uh, Cooper said when she did go out for a hike, she felt unwelcomed, invisible, and that she didn't belong. She said she was ignored by white people in these spaces. So clearly the problem is, is that they're going to the woods and they're they're feeling alone, which by the way is why most people go to the woods, is to get away from <laughs> humanity. <laughs> but the problem here is that there's not enough white people paying attention to them in the woods. <laughs> so the segregation won't work. My idea is not going to work. <sighs> you're you're right. Know. It's it, I, it, it, it like is. It, you're it's 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 just set up so that no matter what you say about it, you're losing the argument. But it's also good. It's good clickbait news for these organizations in the middle of summer when they're looking mm-hmm. for. Look at all the UFO stuff that they covered. Jeremy, the UFOs. Did you see any of that? Oh, yeah. That was nuts. This is unbelievable. They spent... I Well, I, they brought... Did you watch that hearing no, at all? I, no. No. Not even a, for this show. I love you people. I love our producers. No. I did not watch that. <laughs> because, yeah, they had... Uh, it's this clown who was one of the McCarthy holdouts, Tim Burkett. And we've played clips of him. And he, he, this guy is all wound up about UFOs. And they, that, uh, that other guy we, we played, uh, you know, maybe a couple months ago who had that, he was like the high up in intelligence guy that was the whistleblower yeah that's who, whistleblower. That's, who t- that's who testified uh yesterday they brought the this before. guy into a congressional hearing yes what a yes. joke this whole congress is these republicans these are your Repu- this is your republican party yeah oh yeah this it's is your nuts. jim jo- this is your jim jordan and your mccarthy and your marjorie taylor green and your and your uh who, who the Guy from Florida, Matt Gates, they're all in on this together. Okay, so you know the guys at No Agenda well, have, have a theory this on that. Stupid hearing. The guys at No Agenda have a theory on why. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and No What's Agenda podcast. Theory? People should be listening to that in addition to our podcast. You should listen to ours first, then listen to theirs. Uh, the uh, their theory is that actually it's this is a budgeting thing. They're the 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 next hearing is going to bring in the military, and they're going to ask for money to deal with the situation. And they're really they're hiding military funding to under get this more issue. money That's for exactly space right. force. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And I think it also. Yeah. I think there's some there's some psyops going on. The CIA totally. probably thinks that that it, it frightens our enemies if they think we have alien tech that we're just ready to unleash. So I think there's no. That, that. I don't even think that. I don't even think that's even. I think the all, the other countries are so much smarter than us at this point. I don't even think that's a thing. But I do think it's about controlling people and the general public and few continuing to fuel 
the conspiracy theories about aliens and aliens have landed here and we know the aliens have landed here and they had them at Area 51 and all this stuff because people have a need for some of these crazy things to to feel true or to be true because of all the other things that we're being attacked with. And so then when when you have these it's like it it it's there's something satisfying emotionally or psychologically about it when you get some sort of gratification or confirmation that these ideas you know that these are these conspiracies are going on in addition to all of the other ones you know in the attempts to take away our freedom mm. uh, but there's no aliens are you sure positive <laughs> uh but much like the racism in the woods story that the media clings to, <laughs> uh, CNN, can you guess how much time they spent on this story last night? No. Uh, two different segments, one by Anderson Cooper. On Capitol Hill today, a bipartisan call for more government transparency on UFOs, or as the military calls them, unidentified aerial phenomena, UAPs. Three retired military veterans testified before a House com a subcommittee. One was asked about alien bodies. Two others talked about seeing UAPs. In a moment, I'll talk with a retired Navy pilot who saw with her own eyes what one UAP was capable of off the coast of San Diego years ago. First, more on today's testimony from CNN's Orrin Lieberman. That's Anderson Cooper, real journalist <laughs> on a uh, CNN uh, news, a real news organization, talking to you about aliens. Yeah. Uh, yeah, his segment went on for eight minutes, and then Wolf Blitzer had another one, went on for a seven. A congressional committee held a rare hearing on Capitol Hill today on the subject of UFOs, with members and witnesses alike pushing for more government transparency on this issue. This looks like it should be in a movie. <laughs> where they where they've hired CNN people to play like like an Independence Day. This should be ID five is, is what this right. should be in. These guys are clowns. CNN's Tom Foreman has more on the story. Forrest, give us the latest, Tom. This really was quite a hearing. Quite Wolf a hearing. Yeah, I'm stopping there. <laughs> That's enough. <laughs> quite a hearing. But that's what it's there for. That's that's how stupid they think you are. Oh yes, that's how that's how stupid. And you know what? That's how stupid a lot of people are. I was going to say that might be how stupid we are. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> except for us and our, our producers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, this I, I, in looking at the CNN stuff, I came across this clip, and I don't know. I don't. Uh, regrettably, I tried to find the source clip this came from, and I can't find it. So I don't know who these people are talking in this CNN clip. The woman is the host. The guy is a congressman, and I don't know which congressman this is because he's just not a very prominent one. Listen to this. They accuse Trump of doing what Biden actually did: ten million dollars of bribery, um, to, and they fired a guy. I mean, you can follow the money, man. That's Burkett. That's Burkett. Okay, yeah, that makes sense Burkett. because when you listen to the very end of this, you, this is what this was. A, what, that's the one he say sounds like Forrest Gump. Yes, you're right. He was from the hallway. That's right. That's right. Yeah, he was upset about the uh, uh, the cocaine investigation by the Secret Service going nowhere. Right. He was right. incredulous. Right. Uh, yeah. These are FBI. Right, but it has to be proven. There has to be. So uh, just a, a, a recap. He was talking about the 
the things that Biden is accused of, that, that Biden is, uh, is actually guilty of the things that Trump has been accused of. He did $10 million of bribery, um, to, and they fired a guy. I mean, you can follow the money, ma'am. And these are FBI informants. These are FBI cops. Right, but it has to be proven. There has to be up. some proof. You can't just say it happened. Right, there has to be not, some proof, well, right? Tell me, well, what was the, the, the dossier on Trump there wasn't really any proof it was all hearsay and now here you've got a, an fbi document an official document showing that so you know we can sit here and argue about it and i get it you're you know you're you've got your base i've got mine but i've seen the i don't have a base i'm a journalist i don't have a base Democrat <laughs> i or understand ma'am you work for cnn but let's be honest if you work for fox it'd be the right wing and you all are the left wing and i get We're it not. It's no. No. no you don't know my politics sir. you nobody, really don't know my nobody politics believes that ma'am you can say that and you can have your fingers crossed under but again the there has to be proof sir there has to be proof both with my <laughs> her politics fingers are crossed and under the table he accused her of crossing her fingers <laughs> yes yes <laughs> <laughs> and i love it she's totally impervious to the to the example that he has just laid in front of her you guys all just ran with the russia collusion hoax and the dossier and now she just circles back to but there has to be proof <laughs> no there was no yeah. proof for any of that but again there has to be proof sir there has to be proof both with my politics and with whether or not Joe Biden is involved in this. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you talking to me about UAPs and the issue with Hunter Biden. So, and it was when she said, I appreciate you talking with me about UAPs, that's when I went looking for any uh, CNN content about the UAPs to, co- to try and find the longer clip here to find out who everybody was in this in this uh, conversation. And that's when I came across the the Anderson Cooper segment that was eight minutes long and the Wolf Blitzer segment that was seven minutes long. Meanwhile, I could not find uh, this other segment, which means CNN did even more coverage of UFOs than I was able to find from those two 15 minutes of combined footage. Uh, yeah, they spent a lot of time on it. Well, well, that was the Al block. Thank you, Al. I'm going to... I am going to go racist camping and search for UFOs. (laughs) Well... If you find any, hopefully they listen to the Truth Bay podcast and they want to give back. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We've reached that point in the podcast where we get to tell you how it is we take care of business here, how we bring you the Truth Bay podcast, how it is we're able to bring you the truth twice a week, every week, without fail. Um... And that is because of the value for value model. You'll notice we don't have any corporate sponsors. We don't have any commercials. This show is free. You don't have to pay. You don't have to subscribe. There's no, there's no wall. It's free. All we ask is if you think that you are receiving value from this broadcast, from this podcast, from the things that we are saying, what we're bringing to you, we ask you to return value to the podcast so that we can continue to bring you the podcast. Jeremy, how can people return value to this podcast? They can start by sharing the show. Yes, that that is is critical. I agree. That's the biggest... That's the biggest thing, and uh, and don't 
now I'm changing my tune. Don't just send it to people you think would like the show. Send it to people you think would hate the show. I've been saying that from the beginning. <laughs> send it to people <laughs> who you think would hate it. <laughs> hate listeners are the best. <laughs> send it to people you think we would make their skin crawl. And uh, that would make some for some fun, entertaining feedback, wouldn't it? Yeah, you know, and I have to believe that sharing the show will be more... You know, we have to make it easy for people to share the show. Okay, well, you know, it's one thing for us to say share the show, but what are they going to do? They're going to they're gonna send a link of the entire podcast to somebody? It's I think that's hard to do that way. I think what we need to do is make bite-sized content that makes, that's easy for people to share. And get them sharing that content. So we need a clip producer. Yep. <laughs> we need people to pull clips and and share those things. Yeah, no, I think that uh, uh, that and getting our newsletter going is also going to be helpful because it, it's something in an, in an inbox that you can forward. And like right now, mm-hmm. there's nothing we're sending to people that they can forward. They have to go there. They have to be at, proactively getting it, uh, and then that's true. Go and then generate the link and share the link. I I think uh, it'll be improved once we create better mechanisms uh, uh, to make it easier to share and give people content to share. But I agree. you should still share the show and be like Al. Everybody, he is. He, I, we need to come up with like producer of the month, the producer of the month club. Um, Al is just absolutely prolific. He's sending us a tremendous amount of stuff. You're right. He needs his own assistant producer. Um, and I, you know, Al, don't be discouraged. You know what? If we devoted the entire show to you, we could only possibly get to about 0.5 percent of what you're sending us. So don't be discouraged yes. <laughs> that we can't use everything you're sending us. Uh, you're sending us great content. Other people are. I don't want to make it seem like Al's the only one sending us content. We have a lot of people sending us great content. Uh, Jeff. Uh, from Elkhorn sent us some review. Did you get the Jeff from Elkhorn emails? You want to? Do you want to take that? Uh, I got it. I read it. Um, but the document. Uh, do you have it handy? Hold I can't. On. I will uh, pull it up. I have to find it. Okay. So. Yes, I have it. Let's okay. see. He I can't. Says, pull, I can't open it uh, on this. He yeah, because it's a .odt extension, which I don't know what that is. But it opens up as a in, in my text editing program. It doesn't open up in a word processor for me. So I don't know what the I, I was able to read it, but I don't I don't have it in front of me now. He says one: beware the desire for emotional fulfillment and appeal. Okay. I oh, think wait, he, might he be, was talking about the he was writing a review on that film we and I gave my review on it. Yes, I'm sorry. I I uh, failed Tuesday. to I failed to tee this up. <laughs> yes, he's yeah. he's, and he's the us. one that he's he's the one that suggested the film to begin with The Essential uh, the Church. The Essential Church. That's right. When we were talking about some of the other films over the last couple of weeks and it was screened in a lot of churches last weekend. So I actually saw it at my church and then I gave a review on it in the last episode 
and he was promising to send us his review, uh, which is what you have, correct? That is correct. And okay. he, he makes several points in here. Uh, the first one, which is uh, beware of the desire for emotional fulfillment and appeal. And I think he's talking about where I was saying that, uh, you know, that, that I, I need these films to be entertaining or, uh, storytelling. They need to be storytelling. I, I, right. I, again, I need to be yeah. careful when I say entertaining, cause it may create the wrong idea for people. Um, I don't need, I, I don't mean that they need to make me laugh. I need, I, I mean, there needs to be storytelling that that needs to be the main thing that they're doing is using storytelling to convey what they're trying to convey instead of just talking heads and and data um right and uh so i i think that may be what he's talking about so he's saying don't get too hung up on that he says two uh the essential church is historical and accurate and i think you you said that there was a lot of history in the film i think that speaks to what you were saying yeah i think there was we are barely two years from the mass psychosis op, a.k.a. COVID-19. Are we so deeply tethered to the high of instant communication, digital exchange at the cost of personal interactive relationship relating? Okay, let's dig in. And this is, I'm just reading straight from the letter. Uh, technically, from my non-professional uh perspective, my assessment is that this is an excellent production. The sound, music, audio capture of dialogue, interviews, narration was excellent. So he's saying technically it's a very good film. And I think you actually, again, I think you said the same thing. I said the same. Yeah. Yeah. I said the same thing. The pacing of the narrative was deliberate and congruent. My only complaint was the lighting darkness of the historical video. And that could have been the venue, my church, in the main worship area that has lots of windows uh, with a view uh, with a viewing time of five thirty p.m. So right during magic hour, right as magic hour was a pro- right. no, it's summer, so it's not magic hour. It's bright sunlight. Uh, there was uh, much light in the room, making the contrast with the dark video image difficult to see clearly. Yes, that's probably true. And as a filmmaker, that's I I uh, I dread those moments. You want everybody in a dark room with excellent sound, an excellent image. Yeah. Uh, this is the COVID-19 op. This, I'm sorry, this, the COVID-19 op was one of the most deliberately and aggressively implemented acts of evil in my lifetime, a narrative for another time. Grace Productions is to be commended for documenting these events. The fact that this entire project was done in-house by actual members of Grace Community Church is in itself amazing, and I think not only significant, but a testimony to the hand of God uh, uh, providentially uh, providentially present, of the hand of God being providentially present, sorry. Um, in our way, my wife and I, daily reading of the Bible, uh, I'm sorry, in our daily reading of the Bible, we just finished the book of Ezra and are now in. Uh, I'm so this print is so small. I, I got it open. Nehemiah. Okay, okay, good. Thank you. Because I, I, I don't know about you, but in my text program, this is like to, eleven yeah. point print, and I have my right, gla- yeah, I have my glasses that. on, and I'm trying to read. <laughs> Here, you take take over if you've got it open. Go ahead and take over. So these these two books recount the story of the Jews returning to Jerusalem from Babylon from the Babylonian exile. Being the word of God, it is literally the breathed out word of God. Second Timothy three sixteen recorded written recorded and written for us to inform, educate, and teach, admonish, 
and remind us of those events. My point is this. I do not accept the premise of a review for this. What we have is in the essential church is a capture of chap of a chapter in history of time focusing on an event affected uh, that affected the entire world from the perspective of three churches, the pastors, the leadership and the congregants contrasted by the response from government and media. I would not, quote, rate, unquote, this documentary, much like I would not rate the Bible. While certainly not the same inerrant word of God, the Bible, this is uh, nonetheless a necessary and thought-provoking account of an event that one would be blessed to view and share, especially for future generations. Yeah, you know, I like I, I mean, I, I, I agree, you know, with these comments, um, you know, th- that it was, it was like I said, it was good for what it was. I think where uh, Jeff's point uh, certainly should be beware of desire for emotional fulfillment and appeal in things of the world. Um, you know, but as you and I being filmmakers, uh, you know, we look at things a little more critically. I do think this film should be rated and critiqued. And the reason I think so, and I, like I said, I do agree with Jeff's points. I mean, it's a good film. It's a good film for people to see. Unfortunately, the way that it was directed and produced is not done so in a way in which it will hit as many eyeballs. Now, uh, I think is my complaint. Now I need to see this. So film. I think, so I think it's right. I think it's, but I think like he's, he's right. Like it's, it's good. And, and I think people should see it, but People who are not part of the church, I think, are going to get bored. I think it ran long. I think some of the scenes run long. And then, and then I think f- probably you and I would say, like, when you say that, and, I, and I'm not really criticizing Grace Community Church for, for producing this, or, but what I'm saying is and that, and we thought, or you kind of mentioned on some other films, is this could be a missed opportunity. It's not a, it's not, this is, they did not, I don't believe they documented events here in, in a sense of making a documentary film. The filmmaker was not out documenting the court cases that Grace was involved in. The court, the, the filmmaker here was not out documenting those pastors up in Canada that were getting locked up in prison and having their church doors locked by chain locks changed by police and stuff like that. They were recounting the events and retrospectively taking a look back at the events. And they, you know, the filmmaker recorded that in interviews, you know, to be passed on, I guess, to people through history. But I think my main, my main critique here is is that it's 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 not so much looking for emotional fulfillment or appeal in the production, but as a filmmaker, um, 
it depends who you're making the film for. And I did say that when I reviewed it the other day. This director said in an interview that he really made this, wanted to make a film for the people in his church who left, which were thousands of people, left their church based on the decisions that they had made in how to deal with COVID because those people were basically siding with the government's views and wanting to have the church locked down and closed and the church decided to stay open. So he even says he really didn't make this film for are there, the masses. Are there, any, are there interviews in the film from of people who left the church? Not one. Okay, then... <laughs> There's not one there's not one interview with anybody that had a contradictory view. Now he did put a, a disclaimer at the end of the film that because it was Los Angeles County that was coming after them, he put a disclaimer in there that nobody from LA County agreed to sit for an interview for the film. So I at least give him credit for reaching out and trying. Mm-hmm. But when they say no, at least in my filmmaking world, that's permission for me to go knock on their door with a microphone and demand they make a comment. (laughs) Rebel. And that would not be be rude at that point because they did the things that they did and then also refused to make comments on it later. And I'm going to insist that you make comments and defend your positions at this point. And I'm going to get that shot of you saying no. And that's why you're. And the I'm going to get that pundit. shot of you slamming the door on my face. Rebel. Um, that's right. But Rock I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that prior to asking for a sit down interview because if you'll give me a sit down interview, I'll be able to get it, make it just as good. Um, and, and just just so, as a, 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 a technique uh, tip for people out there for potential filmmakers, you'll want to include your target audience in the production if possible. <laughs> like if you if that is your target audience include some of them in your film because then they'll identify with the people you've included in the film and you may actually reach them on an, on another level so it's just it's a just a little friendly filmmaking advice uh so, uh but yeah but Jeff thank you for 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 sending it in thank you for the review and I think your comments are mostly correct I think coming from the viewpoint of somebody in the church but I think on a like on a film production uh, assessment, I think that's kind of where my critiques are coming from. Well, and and because you're talking to two filmmakers, that's what you're likely to get from us. But also, the film is opening in theaters. It's going to be in theaters. So if it's going to be in theaters, it's not unreasonable that people are going to judge it like they judge other films as well. Which is what which is what made makes it an, a huge opportunity. Uh, to, to communicate to a to an even wider audience, um, so at any rate, uh, uh, yes, uh, please. Uh, I think that's a great example uh, of of something a of a a producer of our show, a listener producer, interacting with us and sending us content, and the show thus is becoming something of interest to the producer, and you too can do that as well. 
This show can be about the things that you're interested in. All you have to do is write to us, truth at truthbait.com. Send us a link. And if you send us a link to, uh, somebody sent us a link to a 30-minute video, and I sent it back to them saying, there's no way I'm ever going to have time to see this. Please tell me what it is you like about this so that so that I can maybe just go directly for that. It, 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 it's important. Send us a note. Send us a comment with why you're sending us the, the clip you're sending us. Tell us why it's important to you. What was it that struck you? Because that's what we want to know. That's what we want to talk about here on the show. Um, and since we're talking about uh, a church and biblical issues, Jeremy, did you know what is happening in communist countries. This is unbelievable. The Chinese Communist Party is rewriting parts of the Bible and Koran, which is an unsurprising development. Fox News reported that the CCP has already mandated that the Ten Commandments be changed to President Xi quotes in some Protestant churches. The CCP is following communism's pattern as it has existed throughout history, with horrific human rights abuses running rampant, genocide, re-education camps, and an overall consistent oppression of inalienable rights. Can you believe this is happening in a communist country? It's totally shocking. (laughs) (laughs) Here is a report from two years ago. According to an opinion piece, authorities in China are trying to eliminate Christianity and replace it with a communist version of the faith. Writing in today's Washington Times, Jianli Yang says in part, quote, the arrest and secret trial of four Chinese Christians for selling audio Bibles in December 2020 is the latest illustration of how serious the communist government of China is on stamping out Christianity. The piece also says China is printing a Bible with communist content sometimes replacing scripture. I guess they're okay with Torahs, though. <laughs> Maybe there just aren't mm. any Jews in China. <laughs> Here's well, from, what's that? that's the Bible. You know, that is the Bible. I know, so. I know, but it's, you know... Uh, they just don't want to count Jews. I, I they're as, just as victims. I, I have you ever seen a news report about anything ever Jewish in China, ever? Is there... <laughs> <laughs> which is which is really annoying because I don't know if the Chinese uh, on the mainland know this, but we Jews, the, the, we make an annual pilgrimage every Christmas Eve. We are eating Chinese food <laughs> every single Christmas That's Eve true. without <laughs> That's fail. True. All right, it's it, it is a ritual for us. <laughs> so I just I'm advocating yep. for better relations uh, on the mainland. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I actually I'm curious now what the what the situation is for the diaspora on the Chinese mainland. I don't know. Interesting. Anyway, this is from three years ago. China publishes the highest number of copies of the Bible, and now it wants to edit them as well. Now, you could call this censorship of religious texts. You could call this meddling in religious affairs. China plans to do it. The reports say that China wants to translate religious books. Government censors will go through them. And anything undesirable, anything that does not confirm to the communist ideology, believe it or not, will also be edited out of the religious texts. I think that, so I don't know if you caught that in that report, they said that the majority of Bibles are printed in China. China publishes the highest number of copies of the Bible, and now it Mm. wants to edit them as well. I think every Bible that's printed in China should have Made in China written on it. 
It does. Do they well, really? It's, inside, it's 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 like it's it, it's not like a made in China stamp like on your hose nozzle, but it's a you know it it, it says printed in China on the you know and where it's you know all the publishing information and stuff. <laughs> your several Bible my brought Bibles, to you by communists. <laughs> several of several of my I I, I learned this. I don't know, maybe a couple years ago, and several. I we probably have like thirty Bibles in our house, different versions, different translations. I mean, um, and I started looking, and I'm like, wow, wow, wow. I mean, half of them are printed in China. Wow, and uh, yeah, part of me wants me to leave those Bibles at home. You know, like. If I go to church, I don't want to bring my Chinese <laughs> yeah. Bible with me. <laughs> I wouldn't trust a Chinese um, Bible. No, I wouldn't either, though I have yet to find something that was not printed correctly in one. But then this would indicate that that's what they're going to start doing. And um, it's something now that I do is uh, in my efforts to try to not buy Chinese-made things uh, when possible – I also check when I purchase a Bible to see where it is printed and published and make sure that it's not from China. But what I would say is, I bet we're not far behind over here in America. Because how? it's like, how many, in terms how many, of change, change how many the decades... <laughs> How many years have we been hearing about in China, you know, internet censorship and Google? You can't get Google in China and Chinese government doesn't let you have internet for And Guess what? We've got the same thing here. You just get Google, hmm. but you get censorship and you get everything is screened by the CIA. You, you get on Google, you know, so it's it's like how long before in America are we saying that the Bible uh, we're, we're already saying how offensive things it says are. So how long before we start deleting or changing those uh, verses uh, in in the American uh, copies? Jeremy, is the Bible won't be long? Is the Bible any less relevant when it's printed by slaves? Is the Bible less relevant when it is printed by slaves? I don't it, think so. Is it more ironic? I don't think so. Does it have any impact on the word of God when it is printed by slaves? <laughs> no, of course not. For money. Not. <laughs> no, absolutely not. I mean, it's God's word, and God's word is going to go out uh, the way he deems uh, fit. And that may be, the you know, that's the way that it's going. Um, slaves for God. Know. I think we have a title, a show title, <laughs> Slaves for God. Well, I don't know if they, the, I would call myself a slave for God, but I wouldn't say that those people making the books in China are necessarily. <laughs> they might be if they're, if they're believers in the word, but uh, no. Uh, but, well, d- this is, I have a, re- <laughs> I have a, I have a clip. This is from, 11 years ago and i don't think we have anything to worry about this is from an from an editor of the economist we think that china will be the world's biggest christian country relatively quickly and we think it'll probably also be the world's biggest muslim country uh, maybe a bit later because islam is also growing particularly in the in the in the, in the rural west so nothing to worry about 
it's all going to be Christianity <laughs> is well what you find is that where where there is uh most oppression um i think you find people looking for uh answers well that may and be but I, but where 11, you find in context, most oppression against the economist 11 years ago this was find- propaganda jeremy <laughs> Eleven years ago, this was saying everything is fine in China. In fact, China is going to be a, a Christian nation soon. <laughs> I'm not is sure that, that the context I, was well, that the context of it because it's true. Like Christianity is growing tremendously in China. Yes, no, I, I don't. But it's think not that that's what growing freely. About. Right, <laughs> right. It's not growing freely. It's growing under undercover, basically. I mean, it's you know, but but. But the church in places where there's the most oppression against it, it's often growing at a much greater rate uh, than it is here. Yeah, but I would argue too that that you've seen with the with the oppression that people have faced through COVID, like there where where like in the Grace Community case where like people were leaving that church over the you know, non-compliance with the government edicts and government interference in the church's functioning. Uh, there were, there's also a, there, there have been new people basically fleeing or, or, or coming into the church because they have seen now where the world is headed. Yes, and Jeremy. they're looking yeah, for of, an alternative. Of course, of course. But I'm more likely to believe, and it's a hard sell at this point, that this country is still a Christian country than China is going to be the world's biggest Christian country. This, I, again, I say, coming from the economist, this is China's great. China's wonderful. Come be a Christian yeah, in probably. China. No, it's not. I'm just saying it's an example of how they have missed the mark. Again, their predictions are wrong about everything. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to get in the way of your sermon. I'm just saying. No, but, but I think, but I, but it didn't. But but like that. So I don't know. But there was no context there. The context. It was the, 11 the thing, years ago, coming from the Economist, from an editor of the Economist. Yeah, but all you played was him saying that Christianity was going to grow and Islam was going to grow in China. Okay. Here. He didn't say why. He didn't say because of freedom, did he? What I think is really interesting about China is, as I said, is it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the up-and-coming people who are joining it. There is a, does seem to be a slight religious split. The Catholics, in general, are doing better in the countryside. It's the evangelical, more sort of American-style stuff, which is particularly imported by Koreans, but also by... Yeah, so he's, he's, he's talking about how great religion is in China. <laughs> Yeah, but is he saying it's because China's allowing it, or is he saying it's... I'm going to play even more. That's what's really moving in the cities. Um, What is interesting to me, because again, you know, our our book is an attempt to study this phenomenon, take people inside these house churches, show what they're like, but then ask the political questions that flow from that. And the readings you get from the regime are very contradictory on this. On the one hand, it says the regime is prepared to encourage these things. Hu Jintao has said really quite nice things about religion. <laughs> Jeremy. <laughs> Hold on, I want to hear more. I want to hear more. I want... Okay, I'll play the whole thing for you. <laughs> and even about Christianity, and there's, there's some element of, 
suddenly Confucianism, the regime is quite comfortable with because they're, they're looking, in a sense, for glue to bring this huge country together. Um, there is the level of social oh, dislocation in no, China. They're going to use religion to bring this is going to be the social cohesion of China, Jeremy. It's gigantic. There's one year, I, th I think it's 1998, and I may have got it wrong, where the number of people moving from the countryside to the towns in just that one year is greater the number of all the people who left Europe. It's cosmopolitan now. Jeremy, they're opening up. It's fantastic. This guy's a shill for well, China. I'm not sure that I'm not sure that's what he's saying. Okay. Is that and what came he's to saying? America in the 100 years before 1920. So you have social dislocation. Well, now he's promoting a book. So what's his book? This is uh, the guy's name is John Micklethwaite. That's such a great British name. John Micklethwaite. Let's go look up John Micklethwaite and see what his book is. What is his book? Uh, he's a Bloomberg media talent. He's editor-in-chief of Bloomberg now, so he's really moved up in the world. Anyways, my point is I couldn't gather from what he was saying that he was defending the regime. He was... he Because it even sounded like he was saying... He's saying it sounded to me like he was commenting on the spread of Christianity and Islam within China. But I would, I'm but wondering he if was he just was talking about more how of a commentary on on religion than China Chinese government itself. And then he did say that that then you had the Chinese government embracing this, but only to a certain extent. Oh, they've right? opened up to Confucian Confucianism because they they now they they need to they need they're looking for social cohesion. Came right. to America in the hundred years before nineteen twenty. So you, you have social dislocation on a gigantic level, and the regime are aware of that. They're currently having to deal with lots of economic problems, and they see religion at least as a, as a potential piece of glue to hold that society. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> They see religion as a potential glue for social cohesion in the cosmopolitan opening up China. I'll keep going. Together. That's the sort of good side. On the other side, they are inherently worried and suspicious about religion as a sort of incendiary force. Um, various people have told me that the figure who the regime particularly identifies as John Paul II. They, they, they think John Paul II, they give him an, perhaps a, a too great a role in the Soviet Union's downfall. Uh, yeah, to me, that's, he's basically, he's giving a nod it, to the fact that it's a communist country. <laughs> he's basically, Jeremy, yeah, it's, he's uh, saying that, that China is opening up, that they, and they're, they're looking to religion as a potential social glue. That's the thrust of what he's saying. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's just I, nonsense. Right. Okay, well. <laughs> well, now I no I no it's not nonsense. It's, I don't think it's nonsense. You think that the communist Chinese I think are looking towards religion for their social cohesion in their country? Absolutely, yes, hundred percent. I don't think that. Yeah, but you no. What I'm saying is that I don't. I think that what he he might be arguing is a good thing or a positive thing is not. It's a sinister thing. And what you're seeing now, going back to the beginning of this, with their now their interest in manipulating and deleting and changing or in or or or, or transforming certain parts of scripture, is that they're just like, you know, Christianity is gonna be fine 
and you're going to be able to be a Christian in our country because religion is going to be one of the social glues that sticks us all together. They're rewriting but the Ten it's Commandments. it's going to be our kind of Christianity. Right, and they're rewriting it's going to be the a Ten Commandments, Jeremy. What Christian is going to go along with that? They're only one that doesn't have a, a real copy of God's word in front of them that has good discernment given okay, to them well, by God. You're not saying the Christianity is. I'm not is, defending. You're saying that I'm lies defend- are going to be the social cohesion. <laughs> yes, totally. What I'm, <laughs> okay. yeah, no, I'm saying, but I'm not, but I'm not saying that that's not what they're doing. I'm saying they are cre- They're going to create. An environment where a, a a false Christianity okay. is allowed to spread and flourish. So they say, "Yeah, we're a great Christian country and whatever." So you're right, I think, in the extent that this is a is a, a I don't know if I would call it a propaganda piece, but he's to me it sounds like he's kind of giving like an accurate assessment of the situation there. Oh well, you and I hear and me, it very and he, differently. And he's and he's and he's painting it with positive brushstrokes. Certainly, in my view, it's negative brushstrokes. That no, what you're saying, what he's, what, what you're describing here is a situation where Christianity is going to in the in the and the drive or desire for the people to to practice and worship. Uh, in 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 a, worship the Bible and the God of the Bible is going to be manipulated and 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 changed in a way that's a pro- that's government approved. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> good luck with that one. <laughs> All they're going to do is just expand the black market of Christians, which is what you want. That's what you actually want. Well, um, that's what you want. Yeah, right, that's right. and that's that's the result of it with people who actually study and use you know god's word and don't take everyone else's word for it but that so clearly that's what they're doing is they're trying to change you know scripture to align with what they deem uh acceptable and i think we're probably not going to be far off from that here in this country also that, as I no said about the other. no that's not true we have elon musk who is our free speech savior <laughs> he is yes. not gonna let that happen jeremy yeah elon musk is uh He's renaming the He's Bible the X. <laughs> the X Bible. <laughs> From now yeah, on. You talked about this. You talked about this months ago. And you had a great segment on uh it wasn't the World Economic Forum, but it was something like the World Economic Forum. And Klaus Schwab was describing It was the Global the Government techno- Summit. <laughs> Right. The Global Government Summit in like Dubai or somewhere. And Klaus Schwab was describing technology uh, development that would um, basically sort of like you're creating a, a, a platform for people's online identities and identity verification systems. And he was saying that the best, uh, whoever ends up mastering this technology will in some ways master or become the master of the world. And then you brilliantly had a clip of Elon Musk 
talking about wanting to develop this technology, (laughs) which answered my question that I had been asking in my head for quite some time, which is why does Elon Musk want to buy Twitter? Why is Elon Musk buying Twitter and now becoming the champion of free speech and getting all of the conservatives who have been begging to get back on Twitter going back on Twitter, where they're not doing anything productive? Um, And now they're censored again. And he had called it, he had said in that interview you brought or played was was uh, that he had always had this desire to develop something like called the X app or the everything. Yes, everything. App, which That's became right. like a one-stop clearinghouse for your digital identity. Mm-hmm. And now we have the launch. Rebrand for Twitter. Elon Musk is dropping the famous Blue Bird logo for an X. There could be more changes on the way. Trevor Alt has the story. Good morning, Trevor. Good morning, George. You know, when Elon Musk bought Twitter, he said it was a step to creating the Everything app. And this seems to be a big move in that direction. But while so far a lot of the plans seem very big on ambition, but also short on detail, Twitter does seem set on scrapping one of the most recognizable logos in the world. This morning, Twitter announcing that Little Blue Bird is undergoing a transformation as the company transitions to X. It's part of a gigantic rebrand meant to signal even higher aspirations for the social media behemoth. Elon Musk, who took Twitter private in 2022, tweeting just the letter X in a new font overnight, calling on fans to help design the new logo, spurring speculation about the changes. The company's new CEO says... X is the future state of unlimited interactivity, centered in audio, video, messaging, payments, slash banking, creating a global marketplace for ideas, goods, services, and opportunities. The end goal, the golden goose for Musk is to turn this into what I'll call a super app. They're looking to add marketing, subscriptions, and they're trying to be the all-in-one platform. Though what exactly this means for Twitter's millions of users is unclear. This is the latest and biggest change the site has undergone since Musk paid $44 billion to buy it last year. But amid widespread and often controversial changes, along with claims hateful content has grown more prominent on Twitter, many advertisers have pulled away and revenue has dropped sharply. And Elon Musk has long had a fascination with the letter X. Well, before his company SpaceX and the Tesla Model X, he created X.com back in 1999. It was an online bank. He merged with another to create PayPal. And then he bought X.com back from them in 2017. George. Thank you, Trevor. I was going to say, we're going to see if X marks the spot. Ah. So you are Wait, totally right. Suddenly now they're friendly towards towards Twitter. Twitter's a behemoth again. I thought that Twitter was dying on the vine. They were they were going to be the, uh, Twitter was going to uh, yeah. completely crack and the and the the timeline wouldn't be available. It was going to be broken because of Musk. Hogwash. <laughs> that's called hogwash. Wow. Yeah, that's all fake. I'm that's try all and play fake. I'll tell you what. I was trying to find. I'm trying to find a good funeral march for Twitter (laughs) because Twitter is now. Isn't that the headline? Twitter is. Twitter's gone. Twitter does no no longer exists. Uh, That's right. It is now X. It's X. I can't believe that that isn't a bigger headline. 
have you been using have you been using twitter i have like have you noticed if you if you when you when you click like if you if you click off of a website onto twitter now you see the x oh the, the x is there the, the bird the, is the, gone the bird is gone the gone. bird is dead Where's PETA? Gone. Disappear. Where's PETA? <laughs> you have more birds in your on your property than uh, than Twitter does. The the uh, yeah no it's it, the X branding is everywhere and Twitter is a total cesspool. I am on Twitter. We have Truthbait at, you know, at Truthbait on Twitter. Um, I also have my legacy uh, hating Breitbart account at hating Breitbart, and uh, uh, the censorship is still alive and well. And uh, on top of that, Twitter is just a complete psyop now. Everything coming through the feed is allegedly former Trump supporters who hate Trump now, and he's a con man, and and they're all pro-DeSantis. Like, there's a huge pro-DeSantis op happening on Twitter. Uh, It's been going on for about the past, like, week and a half or so. Yeah, Musk is working with the CIA, and it the whole thing is a tool for a big psyop. Yeah, I yeah. would. Uh, it seems like it. It's meant. It definitely. It, they're looking to agitate. Twitter is agitating everybody. Their whole mo is agitation, agitation, and uh, I, pretty much I, of all the people that I've seen on Twitter who are claiming to be former Trump supporters, I like I play a little game. I like to go back and look at their Twitter feeds historically, like look for every mention of Trump, just to see like okay, were they actually Trump supporters or are these just never Trumpers regurgitating themselves, pretending to be former Trump supporters, but they were always never Trumpers, and so far. Uh, pretty much everybody that I have found on Twitter that is out there proclaiming to be former Trump supporters, there's only been like one or two that I can find anything where they actually appear to have formerly been Trump supporters who now have turned. So there's a big psyop out there right now about former Trump supporters turning to DeSantis. Coincidentally, they're all turning to DeSantis. All of them. Yeah. And DeSantis' campaign is over yeah it seems like it's <laughs> not it's to it's totally over uh i saw how many headlines this morning on uh off the press which is like drudge light and it's like now he's not not only is he not gonna be 2024 he's done for 2028 oh wow is desantis <laughs> is De, is desantis headed down the jed bush campaign path of 16 (laughs) um yeah he's he's toast i mean he's he's and that i i that's where i thought like i wonder like is he in on it or is he just getting used or kind of being forced to do this right now because that was sort of my um prediction around the time of the midterms when they was when there was clearly an organized push right away to uh to prop him up as, you know, the the Trump destroyer and the greatest candidate we're ever going to have. And I'm like, if he runs, he's going to lose. And not only is he going to lose, he's going to be done. He's not. If he doesn't run and he sits back, he's got 2028 and he'll be, all the Trump people will go for him based on how he's been governing. But if he comes in against Trump, forget it. No one's getting that taste out of their mouth. 
Anyways. Yeah, no one's... Guess what? The elections are rigged, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> so don't be expecting anything that you want. But it's Just all, go vote all for these Trump and make them harder. All these headlines now are... DeSan- you know, DeSantis donors are heading over to Glenn Youngkin. Now they're going to do the same thing. Oh, wow. <laughs> they're not even going over to Vivek. That's how you know Vivek is, no. running, is, is, Trump, is working for Trump. That's how I think Vivek is going to be in the administration if... By somehow Trump is president again. But Hasn't Vivek passed DeSantis in the polls? Yeah, and he's been beating him in all these <laughs> straw polls, like at the Turning Point USA straw polls and stuff. Vivek is passing. That's uh, humiliating. No, DeSantis. It, it is. He's. It's like Jeb Bush Jr. And guess what? Why? Because DeSantis is a Bush guy from Yale, so it's no surprise. So, hmm. anyways, well, I'm going to go get my X chip put into my hand <laughs> this weekend. Do you want to come with well, me? Why? You don't want to put it into your brain? <laughs> it, remember, he's got that other company that's a Neuralink company. Well, I'm going to get that after. I'm, first, I'm going to get it into my hand, and then as soon as the brain chip is available, I'm going to get that one, too. It's going to make my whole life easier. Will all the chips be in little in shape like little X's? I hope so. Hmm. I'm so excited about it that I don't even want it to be invisible. I'm gonna maybe I'll put an X tattoo right over it to remind myself that it's there. In the future, if you want to transition, all you'll need are two X's. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh well, speaking of transitioning, so yeah, Putin is so Putin's in the news because he passed. Sorry about that. I had my scrubber on. Uh, here is, uh, Putin passes a law banning trans. The Russian lawmakers say that the act seeks to protect Russia against Western anti-family ideology. Now, President Putin has been pushing for such laws for over a decade, which he says aims to protect traditional values in Russia. The Kremlin adopted legislation that banned any public endorsement of non-traditional sexual relations among minors. LGBTQ plus activists have warned that the latest law will lead to a further increase in already high rates of suicide and suicide attempts among transgender people in Russia. They also say it will encourage an underground market for surgeries and medications in the country. Back alley phalloplasty. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Maybe we have another show title. <laughs> the, uh, you know, the, they, they throw around that statistic that trans kids kill themselves. All the su- you, you would think that every young person that commits suicide is because they're trans. They, no, they do because when they look in the mirror after their surgery, right. they realize the truth well that actually that's going to be very real unfortunately the the if that statistic were true though that trans kids who so-called trans kids who don't transition that that they're going to kill themselves do you think that putin sees that as a problem (laughs) putin would be just fine with these kids killing themselves he would have no problem with that um I have one more uh, report on that. Uh, oh, no, no, excuse me. Uh, you know, real quick, I just point out, do you notice that I, I went looking for that story. I couldn't find it anywhere in American media, nowhere in Western media. That was a report out of India. Why would, why would that story be met with complete 
crickets. That's our Western media to the report of the passing of these laws. Yeah, I don't know. You would think they would want to hammer him on it. So. it, it because they're leaving a huge narrative on the table. Think about it. I just never thought that I would have to flee a state for the good of my children. The SB 254, uh, this will permanent outlaw the mutilation of minors. I remember Tori coming to me one time and in tears, which she doesn't normally do. And I asked her, she has a mustache, by the way, after what was wrong. And she said DeSantis and like the fact that a governor would be making my kid cry. That's a messed up government. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How about during COVID, lady? How about, yeah, good, enjoy governor, being a subject of Governor Pritzker under COVID, who shuts you down and then goes, made goes up to Wisconsin cry. and hired hey, Pritzker, shut, our, shut Illinois down, then hired Illinois construction workers to go up to Wisconsin just across the border to build his mansion. So in Illinois, they couldn't work, but he could bust them into into Wisconsin where they could work. And every night he bust them back into Illinois where they were under lockdown. Uh, how many kids did he make cry? He made the adults cry. That's okay. He made my <laughs> kids cry when they saw him on YouTube ads. They're like, who is that guy? He's got a pizza face. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're absolutely moving because of the political climate and the laws in Florida. We didn't want to move. I was very relieved when we decided to leave. Oh, yeah, this is their daughter. I was very relieved. Say, uh, do, you, do you remember that uh, Jim Carrey had that character on In Living Color where he's like, he talked like a horse, but he was like a, he's like a woman who like had a really deep voice and was very oh, ugly. Oh, man. That's yeah. like three <laughs> decades ago. Right, I know. I'm dating myself. But the, I, I, I they, forgot my references that show are even existed. <laughs> uh, the uh, half our audience is like, what's In Living Color? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> uh, yeah, so the, here's, the, here's the quote unquote daughter. I was very relieved when we decided to leave. I had never really heard that much about trans people. And until I was like 11 or 12, I didn't even know trans people existed. So I was just used to being uncomfortable. I started hormone blockers pretty soon after that. Okay. Were, was everybody listening closely there? So when did this person start? His puberty blockers in Florida. Right after he found out trans people existed? At 10 or 11. 11 or 12, I didn't even 11 know. Or trans, 12. 11 or 12, I didn't even know trans people existed. So I was just used to being uncomfortable. I started hormone blockers pretty soon after that. I'm sorry. If you put a child on hormone blockers, for this, you're evil. You're just evil. It's it's Mengele level stuff. Yeah. We are seeing many families that are leaving. I really think if you were to ask a member of a trans family, they would tell you they go to bed at night dreaming of how to get out of the state. <laughs> well, but a lot of people in the state are going to bed at night dreaming how to get you out of the state. So it's, yeah. it's, uh, this seems like a win-win. And, and hey, you know what? Good for you. Go to a state that is going to be the way you want it. Freedom of movement. Yeah. Um, 
But I'm just surprised that they don't, that they're not pushing the, the you know, Putin doing this. They're not making that more of a public narrative because of the, the way that they could easily equate Republicans to being just like Putin. Maybe yeah, they don't want to make people like Putin. They don't want to. They don't want to prop Putin up right. anymore than, <laughs> than he's already getting because he already gets. Like, there's a large part of the uh, Catholic and Christian America that thinks Putin's a great guy because of things like this, and I think uh, he might be right in doing something like this. But I don't think it makes him a great guy. <laughs> yeah, no, dude's a, dude's definitely an evil Putin, dude. Not, broken clock is right f- twice a day, not, right? <laughs> not, not a friend of Christians. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, we heard from Janice in Arizona. We haven't heard from her in a while. She but she's to? been listening. Yeah. She's been just loving the show. She's she has. Huge compliments to say for you, Jeremy. She doesn't really say much about me. <laughs> she just talks about how funny you are and how good oh, you've gotten. And I can only conclude one of two things. Either I've always been perfect or, you know, it's like she just doesn't want an uncomfortable moment criticizing me. That's <laughs> why she's my favorite listener. <laughs> <laughs> um, she sent in this clip uh, from, it was... Uh, uh, what is it? Uh, Rep Camrick, uh, Camrick, Camick. I've never heard of Rep Camick before. She's from Florida, and she's in a hearing, and she wants to play a video of a doctor explaining what a what the trans procedure is. In effect, I'm going to give a warning right now. It's not inappropriate. It's not vulgar but it's adult subject so if you've got kids in the room you may not want them to listen to this section uh uh, for the next few minutes um but it's a video that she played uh and it's a doctor describing not in too much detail but describing the procedure um it's you know most people would probably be fine with it but if you've got really sensitive ears in the house parental warning there you go that's the parental warning um so here she is. She's trying to play this clip, and the Democrats on this committee completely melt down. They dis- they dissemble entirely. They even they left the room. They boycotted just because she wanted to play this video. Listen to this. The underlying text is limited to experimental med- medical intervention, specifically using puberty blockers, hormone therapies, and surgeries to change a child's gender. And it was mentioned several... And so what she's talking about is they're, they're debating funding uh, children's hospitals and the Republicans uh, on the committee, they, they want to fund the children's hospitals. They just don't want to fund uh, gender transition nonsense. A child's gender. And it was mentioned several times um, from my colleagues on the other side of the aisle that we don't understand this process. And so... Um, for the sake of clarity, really, I'd like to show um, a video, a, a brief interview that was conducted by an expert in uh, gender reassignment oh, surgeries uh, from Oregon's healthcare system. Madam Chair. Ma- Madam, Madam Chair. Chair. I object. I move that the committee adjourn. This has turned into a circus. Yeah, I, I move that the committee be adjourned. It's it's official. It's a it, it's official testimony. I'm I'm. I'm not and I, Madam Chair. Madam Chair, can I just ask? Madam Chair, without objection, I would like to. Okay, I would like to play the committee will come to order. 
We don't want to be held hostage Sorry, by whatever Rhea, it is that you guys are doing. The committee will come to order. So uh, Ms. Will, Kamek have controls the time. Ms. Kamek controls the time. Thank you, Madam Chairman, uh, Chair Chairwoman. Without objection, I would like to. I object. Oh, there is an objection. I object. We have no foundation or basis for this video. We haven't seen it. And it's I a object. medical expert from your side. They are completely freaking out. This is gold. If we do not understand how this surgeries work, I would like to show a video that articulates how these surgeries are conducted. I think that is completely germane to the conversation that we are having here today. I have looked at the video, but I insist on my objection. Because this is the ranking member on the committee. Because I have to be honest, I don't even understand what the person is saying. It's all, to me, it's just... A, almost impossible for us to understand what he's saying and how it relates to what we're uh, discussing here. Even the authentication is difficult. So I insist on the objection, Madam Chair. So 80% or so. And so now they play the video. This was the video that the, that the Democrat ranking member could not understand. <laughs> we can't play this video because we're never, none of us are going to understand this video. So we can't play it. <laughs> that was interesting. So here it is. So 80% or so of my practice is gender affirming surgery. Um, so I do facial, chest surgery, and genital surgery. By the way, this doctor, this surgeon has pink hair. <laughs> pink hair. I have never had a surgeon with pink hair. Have you, Jeremy? No, we've been seeing a lot of nurses with neck tattoos, though. That seems to be culturally Ooh. acceptable inside hospitals now. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, you know, I just, <laughs> to me, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't love it. You're not going to get into the Jewish cemetery like that, that's for sure. Um, but the majority of my practice and sort of where my passion lies is really genital surgery cases. So I do a lot of vaginoplasty and a lot of phalloplasty. So, yeah, a lot of adolescents um, presenting for surgical intervention, but also a lot of people that are like in their 70s sometimes coming in for genital surgery and then everything in between. Um, but the, the adolescents for sure present some unique challenges. Um, obviously, there's great evidence supporting pubertal suppression for a whole variety of benefits. Um, but the one thing that is very new is genital surgery in someone that has underwent pubertal suppression. Um, not so much an issue in um, someone with assigned female at birth anatomy that undergoes a phalloplasty because we're creating something with a you know, free tissue transfer or a flap anyway. But a much bigger issue for an individual that's undergoing a penile inversion vaginoplasty. Um, because we use all of that tissue to basically create the vulva as well as line the internal vaginal canal. And as right, a specialty, um, those of us that do here, I'll skip, I'll, I'll skip ahead. He basically, so he's, this is, this is what I mean, you're getting nauseous. How could you understand what he's saying? Well, that's, you can't understand what he's saying, Jeremy. I mean, I see why they don't want people to play it. I don't want people to play. I don't want Jeremy. I yes, but except though that by throwing this major storm, this tantrum that they did, they guaranteed more people were going to see it. So I think that's what they were actually trying to do. Yeah, do I would say you're probably right. That's that that that's right. Because the more you become exposed to this type of thing, even though you disagree with it or think it's wrong, it normalizes it. 
so are the Republicans playing into that? Like, what are the, what's what is going on here? This this blew me away. It blew me away. They might. They must. I I would I would think that they think that it's good to expose people to it because it shows the reality of it and it's disgusting. But I think that that I think and I think that they aren't sophisticated enough to realize how it works. That that. The more you talk about the stuff and the more you hear the stuff, the more that it becomes normalized. Well, how would you advise them to combat this when they're in a committee like this? They're dealing with this issue. How would you advise them to combat it? They have to have American momentum and support backing them to in order to do any both sides the same way what's the hearing for what's the hearing that's about medical funding funding, financial funding funding to this particular moment they're they're talking about funding uh, children's hospitals so it's about children's hospitals specifically the left demanding so-called gender-affirming care for children and for all for, for taxpayers to pay for it for you well, to I pay think for there's it. probably so I mean the Republicans control the Congress, right? They control the House. That's the Congress, right? They no they Congress control is both houses. The they house. control the House. Is both parties uh, or both Senate things is part fine. of Congress. So they, they control, control the purse, house, right? And which means they control the purse strings. Yeah, they could could they could shut everything down. So that's what I would do. I wouldn't play any of it. I would. I wouldn't even give it attention. I wouldn't even give it the time of day. We're not even going to talk about this stuff. This part of it is not included in any funding. And otherwise, we pass nothing, and we don't. And we don't fund children's hospitals. So, in that case, the Republicans are being very cynical. They know, based on what you're saying, I think they know exactly what they're doing. They're tweaking everybody by playing by by forcing this by even playing it. Whether or not the Democrats, mm-hmm. the Democrats responding the way they did, they may not have anticipated that. Uh, although they had to know that they were going to be upset. It's very provocative to play this. Like, this is not like, gosh, I just was so shocked that you guys responded this way. I didn't know you'd be upset to me playing this. So it's, it is, you're right. They're not, they could just procedurally move the ball the direction they want to move and, yeah, to, and we're not, just silence is, all it, of this. It shouldn't, it's something that shouldn't be given the time as a legitimate issue. They're legitimizing the issue yeah. by talking right, about it. Right. right. They're saying it deserves debate. They're saying we'll talk about it. We'll show how disgusting it is, but that's legitimizing it. No, it should be like, no, we're not even this is these are things we're not even going to talk about on the on the floor of the house. This is so this is something that is so far from what the idea of this country started as of what the government should be funding. And I don't even think there's why should we be even funding children's hospitals with tax money? Yeah, no, that's that's probably true. But uh, again, let me let me ask you. It, right now, we have the left and others, but just right. Let's just right now for the sake of this conversation, we're talking about the left into just evil, disgusting, vile stuff. Okay, again, Mengele level stuff, Nazis. Yeah. How do you expose them? They have well, to expose like that's like so I'm I'm a bit torn. I I I'm leaning towards agreeing with you in this context. But like somehow sure you have to expose job. what these people are into. 
Well, they're the well, ones maybe losing, there's they're the, the ones well, losing their jobs they're, to them. They're, 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 uh, you probably have to have a, probably have to be taking legal action, you know, probably have a state's attorney generals or something taking legal action against these hospitals, just like they're going against Twitter or Facebook for censorship. They should be go- going after these hospitals and imprisoning these so-called doctors that are doing these surgeries. But I don't know if it's actually a job of Congress, except that perhaps there is a role for them to play in investigating some of this stuff, or if federal money was used to do these things, you know, to people. Um, yeah, but it's not just Congress. That. That, but th- th- this isn't just Congress because your your objection to this to this clip to the you know the reason I and that's right it's fine it's rightfully so personally you 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 don't want to hear it um, you wouldn't want to hear it anywhere so if it was being played right. by Fox oh. News you would have the same exact complaint but you would but but. I agree with you that in Congress we should probably shouldn't even be funding the children's hospital to begin with or any hospital. Uh, uh, the the so you have a different point there no, and, and the procedural said- control they have there to prevent it. But if it was happening on Fox News, I think you'd be saying the same thing, and I would be left with the no, question: I read then, of it. Well, Yeah, how do you no, confront I, it? I, th- I well. I- by putting people in prison, and I like I think that there there are ways to yeah, discuss if, certain if people things. If people and, don't know why they're going way- to prison, they're going to think that you're just persecuting them. No, I think that most people most people agree with with uh, that this is wrong, and the vast majority of people agree that it's wrong. But it's being forced into everybody's minds, and this is one of those ways that that's happening. And we had this conversation a while back there was a Ron DeSantis uh, event where he had played uh, audio recordings of a, a bunch of the, like some of the books that they had banned in the schools down there that were very explicit basically right. you know pornographic books and you brought the clip and you played the clip and you bleeped basically the entire thing <laughs> right the, and then this was the clip Ron DeSantis out, didn't even right, wasn't in for <laughs> right and he came out to the audience and said well I'm glad I didn't have to listen to what you people just listened to which <laughs> is like the dumbest it's like the worst campaign event I've ever seen like, like wow you know like so you just force these people to listen to this stuff and then you rubbed it in their faces yep um, but I recall in that conversation between you and I, the one of the points that I made is is that there because same sort of conversation came up like how do you expose what it is that they're you know doing and I'm not sure everything necessarily needs to be fully exposed to certain extents like and I said at that time like I think you know there are places like courtrooms you know where things are going to be described in detail right like in a in proving a case or con- getting a conviction and those jurors and certain people in the courtroom and the judges they're going to have to be exposed to certain horrors you know re- of reality in order to make a you know determination and a just ruling in certain cases they're going to there are going to be certain venues that Things like this that you don't want to hear may be uh, described 
And people have to be, you know, willing to be subjected to hearing those things. And there are going to be people that are because they want to achieve, you know, worldly justice and have these people put in prison. But then does that make it responsible for Fox News, you know, to actually play and describe things like I didn't I never needed to hear full details of, you know, how Jeffrey Dahmer murdered you know, his victims. I just needed to know he murdered them to know that it was just for him to go to jail. You know, it's like, you I didn't don't need know, to know. Wait, you didn't need to know that need, he was, a, you don't think it was relevant that he was a cannibal? Well, no, right. But you could say he's a cannibal, which you know what that means, or you could describe the actual act of what he's doing. And yes, describing the actual act of what he's doing is going to have a more lasting uh, impact or imprint on somebody's mind, but it's not necessarily, I don't think, I wouldn't say that it's necessary for people to understand that him going to prison was a just outcome in the same way in which here, if it's described that a doctor was performing genital mutilation surgeries on children, I would say that that's wrong, but I don't need to hear about the actual physical details and the body parts and how the procedure is occurring. Well, the the left did, the Democrats did accuse them of not knowing what they were talking about. So I guess they put an end to that that debate. Jeremy, the whole thing is moot. The whole thing is moot. We're all going to die. The world is, the globe is boiling. And for scientists, it is unequivocal. Humans are to blame. All this is entirely consistent with predictions and repeated warnings. The only surprise is the speed of the change. Climate change is here, it is terrifying, and it is just the beginning. The era of global warming has ended, the era, the era of global boiling has arrived. The air is unbreathable, the heat is unbearable, and the level of fossil fuel profits and climate inaction is unacceptable. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> the world is boiling. That was the UN Secretary General. Uh, that was not RFK Jr. I didn't want you to be confused. Um, and uh, yeah, this is so. Uh, the world is boiling, and uh, you know, you would think that that would be disaster enough, but it's not. And this is because people aren't thinking about the ramifications, Jeremy, of pulling. You know, we pull a lot of oil out of the ground, right? To to uh, uh, to fuel our economy, our our fossil fuel economy. And I don't know if you remember back several episodes where uh, there was a story uh, about that the uh, the scientists had determined that uh, because of the amount of groundwater we're using, pulling out of the ground, we're actually throwing the access of the earth we're throwing the earth off access we're we have a wobble now and it's due to right. man pulling water out of the ground to irrigate our lawns and crops literally feeding humans is killing us we have to stop feeding humans well uh, along the same premise people didn't realize but oil presents the same problem 
Well, I have finally decided I'm just going to ask for someone to explain this to me. I mean, everyone I when I speak about this think I'm crazy. But <laughs> I'm sure there's other people out there that are feeling the same way. Why is it not discussed that emptying our earth out of the black substance in the center of it is not a major issue with our global warming issue? She does not know which part of the earth the oil comes from. <laughs> she thinks that the core of earth is made of oil. <laughs> I mean, if we were to step back and think about it, the earth was here millions and millions of years before humans were even a thought. And that black substance was created at that time with the earth. When a product is created with a substance, you'd think that substance would be a necessity of that product in order to survive. I'm going to assume that, and I'm assuming most people would assume that as well. And we are just taking this necessity of the earth out nonstop all the time to fuel our cars. It was never meant to fuel our cars, our, our vehicles, our heat our homes. Man just happened to discover it one day and decided he was going to use it to fuel our cars instead of electricity for the money, of course. But anyway, it's just... Wait, did she just say that man decided to use it to fuel our cars instead of electricity? Decided <laughs> he was going to use it to fuel our cars instead of electricity for the money, of course. But <laughs> so back when oil was discovered... <laughs> When by by discovering oil, by, she obviously doesn't know that the whale oil we used to uh, use fill our oil lamps with whale fat, oil that came from whale fat. Whales were hunted almost to extinction uh, for heat and for light, and oil saved the whales. Oil literally saved the whales. Anyway, it's just not right when you think about it. That black substance, oil, we call oil, it's strong enough, it's thick enough to block the sun from maybe warming the grounds underneath it, from the oceans getting warm. Maybe it's even strong enough to prevent the core of the earth from getting too warm so we don't warm from the inside out. And by us pumping it and pumping it out, we're causing, you know, circumstances that we're paying for. When you think about it, you keep emptying out this substance out of our core and we're going to have to deal with what we're doing. And how can you keep pumping out a substance from the middle of a circle structure and it not become hollow? We keep adding <laughs> all this weight to earth, our home, our homeland. And when you keep pumping this stuff out, and it becomes hollow. Will it not cave in one day? <laughs> the earth is going to cave in. <laughs> wow, they have made Did you see all the sinkholes in the big cities? Is that from the oil? Yeah. <laughs> it's from the it's oil. <laughs> it's, it's finally in. happening. <laughs> oh, but that's how crazy they've made people, Jeremy. They're they've made people mentally ill over this. Well, that or they've they've just connected the issue with people who were already mentally ill. Did that clip remind you of anything? What's it supposed to remind me of? 
Congressman Hank Johnson? My fear oh, yeah, is right. that uh, <laughs> the whole island will uh, become so over. overly populated that it will tip over <laughs> and uh, and capsize. He's talking about Guam. <laughs> the Guam is gonna yeah. <laughs> is gonna tip over and capsize. <laughs> And the earth is going to just collapse in on itself. So write us at truth at truthbait.com before that happens. <laughs> Time is running out. <laughs> Let us know what you think. Thank you very much, Jeremy Siegel, Doctor of Thank Cultural you. Therapy. Thank you, Mr. Marcus. You are welcome. As always, we bring you the Truth Bay Podcast every Tuesday and Friday without fail. To the best of our ability. And to the best of our producer's abilities. Thank you very much, Janice in Arizona, Alan Joliet, and Jeff in Elkhorn. Who else wrote you? You had somebody else that wrote you. Who? Corey? Uh, Rico. Rico. Sorry. Close. 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 (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Ocker. It's Ocker backwards. Thank you very much to all of you. Um, Yeah. Please keep listening. Please keep writing. Stay active members of this community. And we can keep bringing you the Truth Bait podcast. Any idea for a title today? Mm, I'm going to have to go back and think about it this time. Mm. All right. That's that's Jeremy. Jeremy is gifted at titling the show, ladies and gentlemen. If you enjoy the titles, that is Jeremy. I do occasionally. I have a couple of them, but I really... I, I've I've learned to just leave it to Jeremy. They're much better when left to Jeremy. Doctor but Andrew therapy. types it. Andrew types it in. So you're reading his <laughs> typing. <laughs> I have a role. <laughs> I contribute. Uh, thank you, everybody. And now back into the sea of clickbait with us all. 